There's a place right there where you get to trust Jesus. You know what the next thing you're going to do is that song he sung before us. He's going to blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, there's no way. Too much stuff. I need to put some money to keep stuff from sliding off. But there's no way that uh, you can stop. Uh, Psalms, I was reading, talking to somebody the other day, and they uh, didn't understand the book of Psalms. And I said, well, it's about a man, mostly David, uh, it just thanking God for all the stuff he's done for him uh, and blessing him for all the things he's did in his life and, and kept him out of trouble. And Brother, I'm telling you what, man, you're talking about blessed be the name of the Lord. One of these days, that song they just sang about Job, uh, one of these days we're going to get to heaven, you're going to meet some of these people, and you're going to watch them go through. And God gave them, every one of us, gave, gave us them people, uh, so we can look at as examples of how they got through life. And they made it, and they made it, and we can too. And when you get down to where you don't think you can do it anymore, uh, believe me, grab a hold of one of them guys on, uh, in there and just start looking at them and say, okay, they did it, they did it, I can do it, I can do it. Uh, I'd like to do something. I need a couple of ushers here real quick. Uh, I'm not getting ushers. I need a quick ushers. Uh, brother, brother Chris Rue's birthday is coming up. Uh, I believe it's tomorrow, isn't it? And I'd like to take up an offering for him. He's a missionary to the Ukraine. Uh, he may or may not be able to go back because of what's going on over there. Uh, but it is his birthday, and uh, I'd like to give him a special love offering, if we could. So uh, if, if, if you would like to give just a couple dollars to Brother Chris, uh, that would be a blessing. He would appreciate it, and he might be able to go out and buy some gummy bears. Whatever the Lord leads on your heart. Father, thank you for your blessings tonight. Uh, just Lord, thank you for you. What a blessing it is to be able to serve you, uh, Lord, and to just to... Uh, live in this world, Lord, uh, as an opportunity to be a witness for you. Lord, we pray for this offering that you bless it, that you put your hand upon it. You bless Brother Chris and, and Naomi, Lord, what a blessing they've been. Uh, I've known them since the time they've started their ministry. And Lord, they have been faithful members and faithful uh, ministers to the Word of God uh, for all those years. Lord, I just pray that you'd bless this and, and bless them. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And as soon as they get done, uh, Brother Joe, you come up and you can, start, you can preach. Amen. Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Mark chapter number 5. <clears throat> Mark chapter number 5. It's funny, I was praying last night about what to preach tonight, and the Lord gave me this message last night before this morning. Amen. He turned to Mark chapter 5. I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, here we go, he's preaching. I said, what are the odds that he's going to preach Mark chapter 5 the same morning? Uh, the Lord tells me to preach Mark chapter 5 that night. But the Lord does stuff like that. Amen, the Lord does stuff like that. <clears throat> you know, I know, uh, I know you're standing, but just give me a second. It'd be good for you. They're, they're singing about Job, and they're singing about, you know... Uh, you can trust Jesus and all that stuff. Brother Barry got a little taste of what I've been blessed with uh, getting to have for the last 10 plus years, and that's listening to these girls sing while going back and forth to youth events in the bus. And I remember we were, we were uh, going to the mountain to go uh, tubing uh, this, and I think you said you called your wife and put it on speakerphone. Is that right, brother? No, he lied. He lied. He lied. <laughs> But he said, he said, bro, I, he said, nobody prompted them. They just started singing. He says, man, it sounded like angels singing back there. I said, yeah, I know, brother. I said, I've been enjoying that for many years now, and it's just a blessing to hear them sing. And, man, isn't it funny how they minister? They don't, they don't preach. They minister. And, uh, oh, man, it's just a blessing, just a real blessing, girls. Listen, y'all sing. Mark chapter number 5, let's start in verse number 15 tonight. Verse number 15, it says, And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. 
And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, again for allowing us to be in church tonight. Father, it's an honor and a blessing, Lord, that, uh, Lord, as I was meditating on last night, Lord, there's, there's my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, all over this world that wish, God, they prayed that they would have a church to come to like we enjoy. Father, there's, there's some of my brethren last night that were praying just for a meal. Father, there were my brethren last night somewhere in the world, Lord, that were I was praying a life or death prayer, Father, as we rested in our comfortable beds and were able to arise this morning and come to a church house with suit and tie and our Sunday best on. Father, Christianity is so much bigger than what we realize. Father, and I pray that we'd be mindful of those things and thankful, God, and grateful for what it is you've given us. Father, I ask that we wouldn't take it lightly, Father, that we wouldn't make light of it as some do. Father, Lord, but we'd understand the, the blessing and the privilege it is, Lord, again, to be here at church tonight. Father, to have your word opened and preached without fear of persecution or imprisonment, Father, or anything like that. I pray, God, that tonight as we open up this passage, Father, that you would please step through the words of this book and minister to our hearts. God, I pray that you'd step through this nothing, Father, and help me to say something, Lord, uh, that would minister to the hearts of your people. Lord, we're just thankful again. And Lord, I always want to express our gratitude for the times in which we have to meet together. And I pray that you speak to us again tonight, as you did this morning. And we ask it now in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you may be seated. You know, I, I can't help but sometimes when you start to dissect some of these passages and you start to, you know, try to get in and see the meaning behind the words on a page and, and the details that you can that you can mine out of the Word of God, and you just see how endless the treasure trove of knowledge and wisdom is in this book. Uh, I think uh, if we could just for a moment realize that we, we, should, we should stand in awe of what you have in your lap tonight. You, I, listen, I don't know what, what, what it is in the world that shines and, and, and gleams and, and catches our eye and causes our attention to fasten on it, but I don't know about you, but I have something in my lap tonight that I should be fascinated with, that I should be enamored by, that I should stand in awe of, because man can't do what God did in this book. It's not able to be reproduced. It's not able to be fabricated by the intellect or the hand or the pen of man. It cannot be duplicated. What you heard preached this morning, I hope that, yeah, you got the practicality of it, but do you see what God did in this passage from this morning? The very doctrine of dispensations, and if that's a, a foreign word to you, please stick around a little while in church and you'll learn it. But it is foundationally what we grasp to get our doctrine from. And if you don't know dispensations, you don't know your Bible. What was preached this morning is how God can take a vast doctrine that spans Genesis to Revelation and compact it into one chapter and practically and doctrinally fit seamlessly. That's supernatural. We have a supernatural book tonight. We have a supernatural spirit tonight that leads and guides us into truth. Without this book, folks, we're blind. Without this book, we have no light. Without this book, we stammer in the darkness as a lost man with no hope. But tonight, we have the Bible. Tonight, we have, a, we, have a, we have a light to our pathway and a lamp to our feet. Amen? And in here, as Pastor already preached this morning, there's a lot to be preached in the first 15 verses of this chapter. And I've preached on it. He's preached on it. Some of y'all in here have preached on it. You've heard messages on it. And it's wonderful how God comes to the, the shore of uh, Gadara and meets this maniac of, uh, of the Gadarenes and he changes his life. What a beautiful picture of a conversion of a man lost and just debauchery. And this world has just got him all entangled and ensnared with no hope. And yet he comes in and changes his life in the moment. Amen? I remember, I always struggled when I first went to, 
to Bible college, I didn't understand how to read my Bible. I didn't understand how to put myself in a passage. And it was this very passage by a friend of mine. His name was Danny Duarte. And he's out in California. And uh, he had a pretty rough life. He was a Mexican immigrant that came over for the longest time uh, illegally. But he got his green card before uh, he uh, went to Bible college. Hallelujah. And uh, I remember him telling me his testimony one time. And what it took and what he saw in Mexico before he crossed the border into America and the, and the things that happened to his family and everything. And he was telling me this story. And then he got up and preached one night in Bible class and he turned to Mark chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, he began to expound these things and he read through the passage and he says, and, he, and, he says, and here's this maniac. And with tear-filled eyes and a quiver in his voice, he says, that's me. And it was like a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, that's how you read your Bible. You put yourself in the passage. And you allow the passage to, to apply to you and, you. and then you start to dissect it. And then you start to see things that you didn't know about yourself. And it begins to change you. And it begins to minister unto you. And yes, there's a great picture of the salvation. There's a great picture of what God can do to somebody who's just lost and undone. But can I say this? That's not all that's in the passage. That's not all that's there. See, we, we read the end, the tail end of this passage tonight. We read the tail end of this thing. And I'm going to say, there's a whole lot to moving past the maniac. There's a whole lot after this is all said and done. This man's life didn't end on a mountainside at the feet of Jesus. It didn't end there. It started there. It started there. It didn't end. And you want to know something, folks? You have to realize that, guess what? Your life, your life may start, or your, your Christian life, I should say, may start at salvation, but it doesn't end there. There's so much more to it than that. You understand? There's so much more to it. Sometimes we just get a taste and we get satisfied with the taste in which we have and we take it no further. But the Bible says you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible says it's not done when you get saved. There's a whole lot more to it. And I want to show you a few things tonight as we try to see what it looks like as he's moving past this salvation experience. I'd like to draw your attention, if you will, to verse number 18. The Bible says, And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he uh, might be with him. That he might be with him. You know what I want you to see the first thing about this man? After his salvation experience, as I want you to see his maturing. He had to mature as someone who just got saved. He had to mature as somebody who just ran into Jesus Christ. There's some interesting facts here I'd have you to point your attention to. If you would, look in verse number 14. It says, And they that fed the swine fed and, uh, fled and told it in the city and in the country. So that means that there was these people that were out there tending to these swine. They were looking over the swine. And they just happened to be there when this whole thing transpired. And the swine in which they had the, uh, the, the keeping over, they were the ones that fell victim to suicide. And they jumped over the cliff and drowned in the water. Yeah. Right? And they saw that. And so they flee. And it says that they fled to the city and to the country. Now, have you noticed that Gadara, okay, is right at the bottom of, of, uh, of the Sea of Galilee, right as the River Jordan comes down, and it's in that northern part, and it sits there at the bottom of that thing, and it kind of jets out. And if you were to go to the city of Gadara, that's, I mean, that's a good hour drive from the coast, okay? And so, can you imagine with me, if you will, here's... Here's this maniac, right? The devils get cast out of him, and he finds himself kneeling at the feet of Jesus, not being possessed with devils anymore. And then these helpers, they flee to the city, and they have to tell everybody in the city, and they have to tell everybody in the countryside. Gadara is a pretty decent-sized place. It's a part of what they call Decapolis. You see that in the, in the ending portion of this when he says he goes out and, and he preaches in all of Decapolis. That is, a, that, is a, that is basically a region made up of about 10 heathen cities. 
Okay? And so it's, it's, just, it's just this conglomeration of cities. And he goes in there. It, was gonna, it took some time for those men to hear word of what happened to the swine and to get back to where he was. It took some time. I don't know. Maybe it was a day or two. Maybe it was a week. I don't know. But there, between verse number 14 and verse number 15, there was a significant amount of time that went by. And you want to know what it was? That guy sitting at the feet of Jesus, lapping up everything that he could get his hands on. There was a, there was a new lease on life. There was a new beginning. There was a burden that had been lifted off of his shoulders. And he was like, man, the light bulbs are coming on. There's things happening. Jesus is telling him stuff. And he's like, oh, I've never seen that before. This is wonderful. And Jesus is like, man, you've been naked. I've seen people naked before. I like to put clothes on folks that are naked. And so we'll get you a set of clothes and we'll get all, you know, all, everything squared away. And he starts to incrementally change and, 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 and uh, better his, his state of life, his state of being. And don't you know, it's like that. Anybody ever, uh, anybody went after you got saved, it was just like, it was literally like you could pray and it would happen two seconds later. Right? Anybody, anybody have that testimony? It's like, I got saved and God just started doing stuff. I was like, whoa, that was weird. Right? You pray for something and uh, it's just like, man, God just dropped it out of the sky. Or things would happen in situations that you thought couldn't, could, like, there was no possible way these things could be remedied. And it's like you got saved and all of a sudden the Lord's like, it is finished. And he just wipes it away. We like to call that the honeymoon stage. They know a little bit about it. Right? They're, they're past the honeymoon stage where the hummingbirds come, even in the middle of winter. And they bring them breakfast on the porch of their cabin in the woods, right? And now they realize that, well, they got to feed themselves now. The hummingbirds ain't coming back. Amen. It's over. But there's a time there. There's a time there of sweet fellowship. And it's like, it's like a newborn baby. It's like when that newborn baby comes out and it's, and, and it's every beck and call, it controls mom at every waking hour of the moment of the day. It doesn't matter what time it is. It has mom's undivided attention. She could be zombie, blah, and she's still meeting the needs of this child because it's screaming and it's like, well, I need to take care of it. Why? Because it's just a baby. It's just a baby. Don't you think the Lord's the same way? You ever hear somebody like that? Well, I remember I first got saved and I started doing this. And Lord's, and all of a sudden, it's like he shut the valve off. Right? It's like, it's like, it's just, it's like it abruptly changed. Well, it used to be this way, but now it's not that way anymore. If you could imagine with me, if you will, the word spreads and here he is lapping it up. This maniac, he just, he just can't even believe it. I can't believe it. I'm here at this place at this time, and Jesus did this for me. And he's, I mean, I mean, you could, you could, you could have preached the most off-the-wall message, and he just thought it was the greatest thing that he's ever heard. You know, come to church, looks at everybody, and they're all angels. They all got halos. No one has any flaws. He sees everybody in the church is just wonderful. He's just happy to be around God's people. He doesn't even know. Just knew. And then word spreads. And then these town folk, they come up to the top of this mountain. And I can see it in my mind's eye. They're sitting there. They get up to the top of this mountain, this, this thing. And there's like a little grassy spot there. And here's a little fire. And his disciples are out there. Here's Jesus. And here's this maniac sitting there just clothed and in his right mind. And these folks are like, wait a minute. And the guy rehearses that he's like, listen, this is what happened. So you see him now? I'm not crazy. The guy that you thought there was no help for, there he is. He's right there sitting at the feet of this guy and he's listening to him preach. And he's just now he's loving everybody. He's always got a smile on his face. He's not cutting himself anymore. Like we don't even know who he is. And but see, like what happened was, is he was filled with like a lot of devils. I know it's crazy, but he was like filled with devils and stuff. And he put him in the swine. It wasn't me that lost your swine. It was that guy. He like put him in your swine. And they jumped over a cliff. And these people are like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> and so you know what they do? They go up to the Lord Jesus and they say, excuse me, sir. Uh, word is uh, this guy here said that... Uh, you killed all of our swine. 
He says, well, I guess you could kind of say that was me. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I didn't personally kill them. They decided to kill themselves. <laughs> the guy's like, okay. <laughs> right? He says, sir, uh, we're going to have to ask you to leave. And you know what Jesus does? He says, sure, no problem. Because he's a gentleman. Amen. And he won't force himself on somebody who doesn't want him. Right. Right. Amen? said, sir, we're going to ask you to leave. He says, absolutely no problem. Let me put out the fire. I'll make sure all of our stuff is picked up. We'll get up back on our boat and we'll be out of here. I'm sorry. Sorry for the inconvenience. It wasn't my intention to make you mad. Sorry. And he respectfully bows out. And I can see this maniac going, wait a stinking minute. <laughs> guys, guys, hey, do you remember me? Yeah, guy up there, cutty, you know, breaking chains, all this different stuff. I'm that guy. I'm not that guy anymore. This guy changed my life. What do you mean? Send him away. He's going, and Jesus is packing his stuff up. He's going, Jesus, don't pack his stuff. Don't, they don't know what they're talking about. They really do want you. Just, just be patient with them, please. Sir, could you please tell them that? He was like, son, you've lost your stinking marbles. He just cost us all that money. He just cost us all that product. Do you have any idea how much money just jumped over a cliff? Get out. And Jesus and the disciples are packing everything up. They get in the boat. And don't you see what he says there in verse 18? It says they followed him once they got back into the ship. He's walking down the banks of that thing following Jesus. Jesus, please don't leave. Please don't leave. Lord, please don't leave. There's no reason for you to have to go. Would you please just stay? Please. It's been so great. It's been so. We'll just stay here. Just, just please don't leave. And he gets to the side of the ship and they pack everything up. And he looks at him and says, hey, man. And he looks at him with tear-filled eyes. He says, let me go with you. Let me go with you. And what does he say? What's the first statement he makes in verse number 19? It says, and Jesus what? Suffered him not. He says, sorry, boy. Why in the world would he do that? I mean, he, there was guys Jesus went up to and said, hey, come follow me. And they rejected him, said they didn't want to follow him. This guy wanted to follow him, and he said, don't do it. Why? I believe he looked, Jesus Christ looked at that young man and he said, hey, time to grow up. Time to grow up. Time to wean you away. Because guess what? Life ain't a revival meeting. <laughs> life, life ain't the day you got saved every day. He says, what you're chasing right now is not sustainable. He says, you know what you're going to have to learn how to do? Walk with me at a distance. Man, that's rough, man. That's rough. He had Peter syndrome. Peter's up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he sees Moses and Elijah, and he sees Jesus transfigured before him. He's thinking, how in the world did I get here? And he's like, I got an idea. Uh, it's good for us to be here. Let's make us a couple tabernacles. We'll hang out for a while. We don't need to come off this mountain. We'll just die up here eventually. But I like this. What does Jesus say? Time to get down the mountain. Time to go. Right? Can't stay on the mountaintop all the time. That's not life. It's not life. Moses gets so frustrated, he gets a burning bush. Right? And he's like, man, hey, this is burning bush. Lord wants me to do something. You know, he takes his shoes off. Lord tells him what to do. And he goes out, and it's just like, ah, ah, ah. And he gets so frustrated. He's like, he's at one time, he's praying. He's like, Lord, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He says, ah, get you in a cleft of a rock. I'll just pass by, see my back parts real quick, and we'll be done. <laughs> he said, what is that? You're only going to get a glimpse. Because it ain't heaven yet. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It ain't heaven yet. Say, what's, what are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is, is, guess what? Christianity requires you to mature past being a baby spiritually. Listen, you have to understand Jesus Christ is going to wean you. It ain't going to be milk all the time. And I'm going to tell you, there's been a lot of Christians that have been saved for 20, 30 years, 10 years, and they're still babies. I'm going to tell you, you're underdeveloped. You've never matured. 
You're like the folks over in 1 Corinthians, and he says, I can't even talk to you as if you were spiritual because you're carnal. You've never matured. You're still babies. You know, he's telling this maniac, he says, hey, you got to learn to walk with me. I ain't always going to be on the beach with you. It ain't always going to be fireside chats. It ain't always going to be that. You know what it's going to be? You having to learn how to walk through this life with limited light. Limited light. He's a light under my feet, or a light, uh, lamp under my feet, light under my path, right? He ain't going to show you the way out there. It's one step at a time. One step at a time. He says, you know what, son? It's time to walk by faith and not by sight. You're not going to see me anymore. I'm fixing to go away. Now, I'll be with you. No one can take this thing away from you, right? But it's time for you to learn to walk. You want to know why sometimes it's hard to mature spiritually? Because it requires some effort. It doesn't happen as easy as salvation did. It does not. Which I'm kind of glad that it's laid out this way because you want to know something? It gives the proper expectation of, of, of the Christian life. You know what the Christian life is? Let me show you. Routine duty. You've heard that before. It says the number one killer of Christians is what? Routine duty. You know what it is? Okay, read your Bible. Pray. Come to church when church doors are open. Well, that's routine. It can become mundane. It can become very monotonous. Yeah, you know what it is? It's, it's, how, it's how you maintain your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Routine duty. Routine duty. You know what they said? Uh, there was a guy, there was a kid one time, he was out on a nursery, um, a tree nursery with uh, an old man trying to teach him some things. And they had a, and he had a little row of, of trees, and he had a little, he had a little seedling that had just sprouted, you know, in the ground, uh, some kind of maple tree or something like that, and he sprouted in the ground. And then he had one that was a little bit older, and it was just kind of like a little sapling, you know. And then he had one that had kind of gotten a little bit bigger, but still, you know, less than a less than a half an inch round. And then he had a three inch, you know, maple that had, you know, it's got leaves on it and everything else. And he says to the boy, he says, "Hey, go over to that seedling and pull that seedling out of the ground." And he goes over with two fingers and he pulls the ceiling out of the ground. Little roots hanging off and he dusts it off. And he throws it on the ground. He says, all right, now take that little sapling and pull it out of the ground. And he grabs it with the back of his hand. He has to kind of twist and pulls it up. And that root system comes out. He dusts the dirt off and he throws it around. He says, all right, now take this, take that, take that, uh, that next one there, pull it out of the ground. By this time, he's having to put both hands on it, kind of stand over it to get his, get his hand or his feet next to it and pulls it out like this and kind of falls back a little bit and chucks it off to the side. He says, all right, now pull out that big one. And he kind of looks at him with a little bit of like, are you crazy, old man? What in the world are you talking about? And he gets around this maple tree and he's doing this and the leaves are shaking and everything else. He says, I can't do it. He says, yeah, those are kind of like habits in your life. <laughs> he says, the... The younger they are, the easier they are to, move, to, to remove. But the longer they stay there, the harder they are to remove. That goes with bad habits and good habits. Amen? You want to know something? You need to, you need to learn how to have some routines in your life. We tell that to the teenagers. You need some routines. You cannot let the day dictate itself to you. You need to help navigate your day. You need to have some things that are set in stone. These are things I do every single day. Most people don't have those kinds of routines. Most people don't. They let the day dictate itself. Uh, listen, I believe God likes things done decently and in order. And he tells me there's some things that need to be done on a daily basis. And that means I have to make sure that those things are in my daily routine. And if not, you know what I'm going to constantly be doing? Up. Uh, down, up, down, up, down. I need something that gives me some stability. You want to know what a routine is? It's stability in an unstable world. That's routine. You want to know what it also takes? It takes redeeming time. Right? The Bible tells us that we need to redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. We need to redeem time. That means we need to buy it back. That means time is a limited commodity that we don't have any of. There's no amount of money that can buy you more time. 
And so God gives us time, and if we don't utilize our time properly, that means we're great wasters of time. How are, how, how are you with keeping a schedule? You want to know what everybody says? I don't have the time. I don't have time for that. Why? I work 10, 15 hours a day. Okay. Maybe you're working too much. That's not popular. I understand that. I don't have time. Why don't you have time? You know what I dare to say? Most of the time when people say they don't have time, it's not because you don't have time. It's because you waste time. You waste time. You let the hours fleet away. There's things in your life that is hemorrhaging time. And I'm not talking about you watching TV, although that could be something. And I'm not talking about the time you waste on social media, although that could be something. You realize if you work 8 to 10 hours a day, that you could have another full-time job on top of that before you go to bed? Right? You don't have any time, do you? You're bad with time. Just like probably you're bad with money. Money and time are very similar. You know what I thought? I preached up in Michigan talking about the Bible. And I said, you have to understand, if the Bible is medicinal... And uh, we, have to, we have to medicate ourselves with the Bible. And the Bible is, what, is, what, is like an antibiotic that makes us get better. We have to make sure we have the right dosage and do the dosage for the proper amount of time or else the infection doesn't go away. If that's the case, that means I have to make sure I have the proper ratio. So if I'm spending X amount of time on input in my brain, there should be a percentage of my time spent with the Bible to offset that. And I got to think, well, that's kind of arbitrary. Who's to say how much time is there to balance this much time? So you're telling me if I spend five hours, you know, at, at, at work or at school, or you spend five hours doing whatever, that means I need to spend five hours in my Bible? And I thought to myself, well, if money is like time and time is like money, God requires 10%. Maybe that's a, I mean, I'm not preaching this as doctrinal. I mean, I've... I mean, far be it for me to just preach some new doctrine that you need to spend 10% of your time or you're, you're, you're robbing God. I just thought it was kind of an interesting connection, right? If you sleep 10 hours a day, you got, you know, you, you sleep 10 hours a night. Some of you are like, I wish I could sleep 10 hours a night, right? Help us. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt here, right? You got 14 hours left. You're like, what do I do in 14 hours? You got to work eight of it? You're inputting stuff in your brain? Could you give God 10% of that? An hour? Hour and a half? I don't think that's too much. Between prayer and Bible reading? Right? You know what we need to be better at? Redeeming our time. Because what the devil has done is he's got us real busy doing stuff that doesn't matter. Now, the balance of that is, oh, well, I should be ministering for God 24 hours a day. You can't. That's not sustainable. So where's the balance? Because that's the Christian life is balance. So where's the balance? Well, if I, if I know that I should be tithing and I know that uh, that money is, uh, uh, is, is given to me by God, well, isn't my time given to me by God? Doesn't God carry my time in his fingertips? Can he stop my time anytime he wants? Well, maybe I should bless him with the first fruits of what, everything I have. Doesn't he give me time? Maybe I should think about it like that. Amen. Just a thought. Just a thought. You need to start redeeming your time. You know, some of you do a good time, a good job, just, just mapping out your day. Scheduling out your day. Put it in blocks of time, what you should be getting accomplished. And then when things go haywire, you at least got something to come back to. So things don't get missed. Amen? I know that's not popular. I'm sorry. And then finally, you know what it is? Regulating fellowship. Regulating fellowship. That's how you start to mature spiritually. Learning how to identify sin in your life. And then confessing it, forsaking it, getting it under the blood. Right? That's, hey, listen, that's hard. And the longer you live and the more you mature, the harder it gets because the more small and minute the sin seems to be. <laughs> I 
I'm not saying you ever get to a place of sinlessness. What I'm saying is, is you know what? The minute you think you got something, whoop, God says, now what about this? And what about your attitude there? And what about your short temper there? And what about your lack of grace with that person? And what about you comparing yourself to that person? What about you being, uh, you know, um, what about you always dogging yourself out as if that makes you some kind of spiritual juggernaut? That's sin. That little white lie you told. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, the more you know and the more things God reveals to you, the more mature you get. Like, man, I'm so bad. <laughs> it was more than just smoking, drinking, cussing, and watching dirty movies. It's more than that. And you know what? That takes constant thought to regulate your fellowship. Pastor said it the other night about the difference between grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. You know what that takes? You to be cognizant of your life. You have to be thinking about those things in order to see them. How about just listening and obeying the Holy Spirit? What all, that's all a part of growing up. You know what immature Christians do? They don't ever regulate their fellowship. They're too busy regulating everybody else's. Because after all, that's how they know whether or not they're right with God, is whether or not they can pick somebody out that's less good than they are. Because as long as I can keep myself above somebody, that means I'm at least more right than God than them, and that's really all that matters. No, that just shows me how immature you are. Well, you know, I, I don't have time to do nothing. I'm wrapped up in everything. Everything I do is always rushed, and I can't get nothing done. just shows me how immature you are. Help us, Lord. It just shows me that we haven't grown up yet. We need, we need to grow up. This maniac, you know what he says? I just want to be with Jesus all the time. He says, sorry, better learn how to walk with me. Because <laughs> I can't be here all the time. It ain't going to be a revival meeting every Sunday. You're not going to get up in the morning and the, and the songbirds come in and say, Oh, read your Bible. It's going to be wonderful. No, the stinking... Alarm's going to go off late, and you're going to be rushing and routing, and, and, and your hair's all messed up. You barely got your sock on. You're trying to get out the door. It's like, man, I got to still find time to read my Bible. Yep. Yep, you do. Time to grow up. Amen? Time to grow up. I want you to see his mission. Look in verse with me in verse number 19. It says, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, look what he says, Go home to thy friends. He says, Go home. Rough, man. Go home. Lord, I want to go with you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Africa. Uh, I'll go, I'll go to, to the Philippines. I'll go wherever you want. I'll go pastor a church in some uh, you know, rural uh, town or something like that. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Go home. Excuse me? <laughs> Just go. How about this? Go right where you are. Wait, wait, time out. <laughs> you, mean, you mean my service for you doesn't start somewhere that I'm not? Yeah. <laughs> it starts right where you are. It starts right where you are. Look at his mission. He says, go home to thy friends. He says, in verse 18, he says, pray him that he might be with him. And so many times we think our service for Christ is somewhere other than where we are. You know what they said in Acts chapter 18 when the Holy Spirit, when they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, it says, but uh, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses uh, unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, start Jerusalem first. Where's that? Right where you are. Right where you are. But they know me here. Yep, right where you are. But my path, right where you are. You know what? He already knew the people he was going to encounter. Look at, in verse, we've already read it in verse 15 and 16. Look at, what they, look at what he says. He says they see him clothed in his right mind, right? And then what does it say at the end of the verse? It says, and they were afraid. What in the world were they afraid of? You think that when they went up to the mountain and saw him busting chains and cutting himself with sharp stones and foaming at the mouth, that they may have been more afraid then than they were when he was clothing in his right mind. Some crazy naked man up there going all jungle book up there. You'd think that they'd be afraid of that. No. They're afraid of somebody clothed in their right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's peculiar. Why would you be afraid of them? 
Hallelujah. That's Brother Jerry, everybody. Shame. Shame. Yes. I'll never forgive you, brother. I was in the middle of a point. I was interested in what he was saying. <laughs> you want to know why they were afraid? Because they lost control. You see, when he was the maniac, they at least knew where he was and that they, he was not going to affect their way of life. Because he was off in his own debauchery doing his own thing. They could keep him in the where they wanted him. But now... He's in his right mind, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And now he's like, uh, well, we thought Jesus was kind of like, we've heard about him, and it was okay then. But now he's like at our shore, and now he's affecting people, and that's kind of putting pressure on us. And we kind of like to be the ones in control. And right now it looks like Jesus is in control, and now we need him to skedaddle. You say, what do they want? They wanted their stinking swine slot more than the Savior. Those are the kind of people that Jesus sent them to. The kind of folks that they don't want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They don't want nothing to do with your Savior. They don't want nothing to do with your Bible. They want to have their fun in the hog pen. That's what they want. And you want to know something? His conversion caused them to tremble. And that's exactly how the world views you. They're scared of you. They don't want you to infect them. They don't want you to change their mind. They don't want you to change their lifestyle. They don't appreciate your conversion one bit. They don't care that you're better off with Jesus. They'd rather have you naked, cutting yourself in the stinking mountains than sitting in a church pew praising Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. You better. This world has nothing for you. This world owes you, listen, this world owes you nothing. And you don't owe it nothing. Amen? Because the Bible tells you in John chapter 3, verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should what? Be reproved. They didn't want this guy to affect the way that they were living. They were furious against God. Not only that, he says here, go back to thy friends. You mean the friends that are never going to let you forget your past? You mean every time you come around, they're like, oh yeah, remember when we were over there and we were hanging out in the mountains together? It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember that. You remember that time we had with so-and-so and you did this? Remember when you did it? You're such an idiot. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I was, uh, I was asked to preach a revival when I first got out of uh, Bible college and it was in my home church. And uh, they had asked me to come up and preach months before I had graduated. And uh, I get a call like two weeks before. And they said, well, you got to get up here by yourself, you know, because, uh, you know, if, you're, if, you're really, if you really want to minister for God, you wouldn't require us to buy your plane ticket because, you know, all you PBI guys are about money. R right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the youth pastor at the time said, I'll pay for your plane ticket. You reimburse me half of it. I'm like, okay. So I get up there, and... Uh, I'm sitting there in the front, front pew getting ready. I got my message and going through my message notes and see the pastor come in. I went to shake the pastor's hand. He just blew by me. didn't even shake my hand. I'm like, this is going to be an awesome meeting. <laughs> Friday through Sunday, man. <laughs> it's going to be great. And he gets up in the pulpit, right? And for 30 minutes, spewed everything about my past to that whole church. Because he knew me when I was a kid. They used to babysit me when I was a kid. And they say, yeah, he was this and he was this. And oh boy, what he did in the youth group and what he did here. And got out of church and this, that, and the other. And now he went to Bible college. And yeah, he, he ruffled some feathers and everything. And he just started just laying everything about my past 
And then he gets done a 30-minute message against me and says, all right, come up and preach for us, and walks down doesn't even acknowledge me. And I had some amazing thoughts. <laughs> run through my head. And I got up in the pulpit. You know what I did? I put my Bible down. I opened up the book, and I said, everything he said was 100% true. But I said, uh, everybody has to grow up at some time. And I'm not the person I used to be. Open your Bibles to the passage. That's a hard one to swallow. That's a hard one to swallow. Especially when the folks that you're, you're told to go to know everything about you. And then what makes it even worse is everything they know about you is true. So what do you do? You do what, we call, what my mom used to call eating crow. It's a delicacy around my parts. There's a fine art of eating crow. <laughs> Amen. You say, what is it? It's not a bird. It's, uh, it's, just, it's just crow. It's like, I did this. You're going to shove it back in my face. You know what you're going to do? I'm going to eat it because I did it, and it's 100% true. You know, it's pretty, hard to, it's pretty hard to go to those folks that don't let you forget your past, but that's exactly who we told them to go to. And you know what? You can't defend yourself. How are you going to defend yourself? They were there with you when you did it. You made your bed. Now you go sleep in it. And so they throw the crow, and you eat it. <laughs> and they throw some more, and you eat it. And you know what else you do? You change your life, and you live it as you're eating you eat the crow, and you live for Jesus. And you eat the crow, and you live for Jesus. You eat some more, and you live for Jesus. And a few years goes by, and they realize that all the crow that they're throwing ain't changing anything. And you've kind of like got a stomach for it now. You're like, man, eh, kind of miss some of that crow. <laughs> some of that homegrown crow. <laughs> I miss that home-baked crow that I used to eat all the time. Right? And all of a sudden... Your testimony is undeniable. And they say, that guy ain't what he used to be. That takes time. And it takes a lot of humility. Amen? Can you imagine his family? He had to go to his family. He lived there. You know what families do? They're really good at this. They're really, really good at making sure they keep you in whatever spot you were when you were a kid. Amen? That's exactly what happens. Oh, you're just little Joey. Don't call me Joey. Ever. <laughs> okay? All right? But if they can keep you as little Joey, you know what they can do? Disregard everything you say and do. Because that's their way of putting you under their feet and saying, oh, that's just Joey being Joey. It's like, no, Grandpa, you're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. That's right. Yeah. Joey, that's just your opinion. I read him the verse, and he says, uh, I said, what do you, I say, okay, then you give me your, your opinion of the verse. And he goes, I don't know. Keep trying to put me where you think I should be, Grandpa. You want to know why? Because I'm right, and you know I'm right. And you know what? You ain't going to win those folks easy because they're going to try to keep you where you're at. Hey, listen, parents in here, don't ever be too big to learn a lesson from your kids. Amen. You say, you have no business to say that. Listen, my kids are young. I'm dumb enough. I'm learning lessons from them already. <laughs> you ever had to apologize to your kids? I made a big boo-boo the other day, big one. My son's having a hard time uh, reading in school, and he's having a hard time on a spelling test. He's been failing the spelling test, and so me and my vast parental knowledge thought that, of course, he's just not trying hard enough, so I need to scold him <laughs> and discipline him in order to get him to do better on a spelling test, and then we go to the parent-teacher conference, and they say, we think that there's something going on with your son because he tries harder than any kid in class 
but he just can't get it. And he's embarrassed. And he sits in the front row during a spelling test, and he can't remember the words. And so he looks at the letters across the top, and he's doing everything he can to try to remember how to spell the words. We think he has dyslexia. We've got to figure it out. We've got to take him to do some tests, all this different stuff. How to walk into the boy's bedroom that night, and he's crying because I just got done reaming him. Like an idiot. And I walked down and I knelt down in his bed. I said, Daddy, sorry. You know, Daddy's make mistakes too. And I said, Son, it's not your fault. We're going to get this thing fixed. You know, something, sometimes we've got to be careful. We're not all knowing. You think you know, but you don't. And if you ever get to the place where you're too big to learn from your mistakes with your children, then you're doomed to repeat them. Maybe you have more children. You'll be doomed to repeat it with them too. You want to know something? I hope that that resonates with him, that he knows his dad's not too big to say sorry when he messes up. But you want to know something? Those are the folks you're sent to. There's his mission. Affect the folks closest to you. Yeah, it's going to be hard. They're not easy to reach. The folks that don't want Jesus Christ, they rather prefer the slop than the Savior. You still got to live. You got to still go and live. You still got to go tell them. Those friends that hold your past over your head, you still got to tell them. That family that just keeps you where you're at and doesn't want to ever let you rise above where they think you should be, you still got to tell them. You want to know why? Because my Bible is right. There's still some folks that come back from the hog pen every now and again. Hallelujah. It's going to take some grit. Christians are so notorious for just falling over backwards at the first sign of adversity. Well, they don't want to listen. Okay? Who cares? So you're just going to quit? Nobody listens to me. You So you're going to quit? The world is just too bad. So you're going to quit? Well, the, the government's doing, so what? Are you going to quit? You know what it's going to take to do what he's told to do? It's going to take some grit. You're going to have to get some stinking backbones in here. You're going to have to get, quit being so stinking embarrassed. You're so embarrassed to pass a gospel track out, so embarrassed to tell people what Jesus Christ did for you. You're afraid of their faces. He told Ezekiel, don't be afraid of their faces. I'm going to make your head like a flint, like an adamant stone, that you can butt up against them. And if they don't accept you, at least they'll know there was a prophet among them. What's that? That's your mission tonight. It's the same as his. It's hard. It takes grit. It takes grace. It takes a lot of grace. Grace with yourself and grace with them. Because they don't know any better. They don't know any better. It's hard. Not supposed to be easy. The last thing I'll say tonight is his message. Verse number 20. The Bible says, And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And men did marvel. His message. You know what he had to have a message it's just like Jonah. God tells him exactly what to say. Go to Nineveh, tell him exactly this, and just preach what I tell you to preach. He tells him exactly what to say. Looking with me, if you will, in verse 18. And when he was coming to the ship, he had uh, possessed with the devil, prayed him that he should be with him. Verse 19, how be it Jesus suffered him not, but say to him, go home to thy uh, friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. He had to be settled in what Jesus Christ did for him. He couldn't be wishy-washy either way. He had to get grounded in what it is that happened to him. He had to understand what it is that happened to him. Because if you're not settled, when you bring it across the plate to somebody else, they're going to know you're not settled on it. And the reason why some folks have a hard time talking to people about Jesus Christ is because you don't have it settled in your heart. And it's always all the stuff I don't know. Well, why don't you know it? You say, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to take your excuses away. 
Why don't you know it? You go to a church that teaches the Bible. You go to a church that preaches the Bible. There's Thursday night Bible classes. There's material all over the place. You live in the information age. And guess what? Yeah, there's a lot of information, a lot of false information. Do you have more access to Bible truth tonight than anybody in any other time frame in the world? Why don't you know? Why aren't you settled? I know why. Because you don't want to be. You don't want to be. You're in your routine. You got your way of life. You got your job. You got your family. You got your 401k. You got your house. You got your car. And if the Lord wants you to do something else, sorry, Lord, I'm booked. How come you're, how, hey, how come you don't, how come you're not settled in what Jesus Christ did for you? How come you don't know any verses? If you're so worried about not knowing uh, what somebody, what answer to somebody's question, guess what? He had to be settled in his, in his uh, message, but guess what? His message was simple. You want to know why some folks don't talk to other folks about what Jesus Christ did for them? It's because they feel like they have to talk about everything else except for what Jesus Christ did for them. The number one question when, when somebody asks me about witnessing, they say, well, what do you do if somebody asks you about this? And they name some weird doctrine or something like that. And I say, uh, this is what they taught us in sales. Acknowledge and move on. Right? Mm -hmm. If you're trying to sell something to somebody and they go, yeah, but over here, they're selling this for a little cheaper. You go, you're right. But have you ever considered? <laughs> you know what you do? You acknowledge what they said. And then you respectfully move on and disregard it completely. <laughs> right? That's what you do. And so if somebody comes to me and says, yeah, well, the Koran says. Oh, I don't ever read the Koran, but I know that the Bible says uh, that if you don't get saved, you're in the bottom of the pit of fire, you know. And I may not know. And, oh, don't, well, what about, what about predestination? What about this? What about that? Hey, listen, I'm not sure about a whole lot of that, but I know this. I was lost on my way to hell, and Jesus Christ came by my way and saved my soul. And now, hey, listen, you may not know if you're going to save. My Bible says I can know, and I know for a fact that I'm going to heaven when I die. Do you know if you're going to heaven when you die? You want to know what the problem is? They want to get wrapped up in all these stupid intellectual conversations about everything. You waste more time talking to people about stupid topics than you do what actually matters. Because you want to show how smart you are, how much Bible you know. It's hogwash. It's a peeing contest. Excuse me. <laughs> it's what it is. Well, I'm going to sling, we're going to sling back and forth our, our, our intellect. No, he says, just keep it simple, son. Just tell them what great things Jesus Christ did for you. Amen. That's it! Can you do that? If not, how come? Maybe you haven't dwelt on it. Has Jesus Christ not done anything for you? It was simple. We're the ones that overcomplicate it. We think that we have to be scholars. You don't. You don't. Finally, it was supernatural. The message was supernatural. We know that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved is the power of God. Amen. My power, the power of the message doesn't come from my eloquent speech. And the power of the message doesn't come from my Bible knowledge. The power of the message comes from the simple testimony of what Jesus Christ did for me. That is the power of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, that's exactly what you should be talking about. This world is going to try to wrap you up in all different kinds of stuff and intimidate you. That's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to intimidate you with highly intellectual gobbledygook. And Christians lay down. <sighs> I don't want them to think that I'm too simple. I don't want to be confused with some just ignorant redneck that just loves Jesus. All right. Then keep, keep slinging your axe head with no blade on it then. You ever try to cut a tree down with just a, an axe handle? Read this story in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hard. 
You say, how do you, how do you, how do you get a sharp axe head? Keep it simple. Because the simple message is supernatural. And what does the Bible say in that verse, the last verse? It says, and men did marvel. They marveled at his testimony. The method of the, of the message is pretty self-explanatory. I think Jesus Christ told him, he says, tell him what great things Jesus Christ has done for you. And he says, and what does he say? And had compassion on you. You don't say it in a way with your chest poked out as if you're talking down to somebody. Be careful about talking down to people. You at least level with folks and have compassion on them, right? Because I fast forward this sermon or this, uh, this uh, story. I see an old guy, worked for 30 years, factory worker, you know. He's got his little house paid for, sitting on a little holler there. And uh, everybody he's worked with, they're like, oh, well, that's a preacher, man. <laughs> That's the preacher, man. He'd tell you about Jesus at the drop of a hat, and he'll drop the hat. He's got that reputation around town. But I know this about life, is that there's sometimes when you're out there telling folks about the Lord and everything, and there's those moments where you're on fire, there's those moments that you're like, man, this is great, this is wonderful, and, and all of a sudden, you know, things, they just kind of, as we said before, they kind of you lose, you lose the wonder, and you lose the, the 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 passion behind what it is you're saying. And all of a sudden, you used to tell the story with a glimmer in your eye, and now you tell it with a tired eye. And now it's like a, it's just mundane. It's just, well, it just doesn't hit like it used to. You know what, I've looked at the map of where this man was from, and I can only imagine if he settled back towards that city, and he's all around Decapolis, and he's traveling around in his, in his journeys wherever God takes him, and working, and got a family, he's got a wife, got some kids, they're all grown now, left the house, and doing what they're doing. Every now and again, he'd be telling that story, and all of a sudden, it just doesn't seem like people are marveling anymore. This the story didn't lose its power, right? Something different about him. And it happens to us. We get so familiar. It's just a salvation story, right? It's just how we got saved. Because after all, right now, we're not really caring about our salvation. We want to hear a message that we've never heard before. Right? We're waiting for a certain preacher to come to really fire us up. Right? You want to know the trick to him lasting all the years and fulfilling his mission and all that stuff? Is I think that he was living in a place where he was just so far away he could still look up and see the horizon line of that mountain. And he always had to continue to tether himself to that mountaintop. Because the thing that kept the glimmer in his eye was the fact that he remembered that time with Jesus Christ on the beach. Right? Sometimes we divorce ourselves. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the day-to-day and then everything else, we take a little step away and a little step away and a little step away. And before you know it, we're not, ta- we're not telling people about what Jesus Christ did for us anymore. We're focused on learning more, and we're focused on constantly just just obtaining more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge, and Jesus is like, I don't care how much you know. Have you told anybody lately? Have you told anybody, or have you been scared? You want to know what happens when you're scared? You're not remembering the mountain. Hey, you know what happens when... You, when you start, when you when you when you tell it, and it doesn't, and it's just kind of like mundane, and you really don't know what to say, and you're stammering. It's like it's not as familiar as it used to be. It's because you forgot the mountaintop. Because although life isn't there all the time, it requires us to be tethered to that to make it out here. So you need to have a constant view of that time. You want to know why he's so peculiar? Because of a back porch in Louisville, Kentucky in 1980. 
and you go anywhere around the country, and where do they, where do they tether him to? A back porch Louisville, Kentucky, 1980. What keeps the batteries charged? A back porch Louisville, Kentucky, 1980. <laughs> what kept this guy's batteries charged? A stormy night on a hillside with Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me ask you something. Are you tethered to your experience tonight? When was the last time the Lord broke your heart over somebody else? When was the last time you were in a grocery store and there was somebody walking down the aisle for whatever reason, they just, they just, the Lord just broke your heart over them. You're pumping gas and somebody crossed the fuel line. You're like, man, Lord. For me, it's, I see some folks, man, handicapped folks, stuff like that. I feel so bad. And I see folks that are, that are homeless or I see folks that are some kind of thing. It just, just, this is just me personally. I look at them and I say, after such a miserable existence on earth, will they die, to hell, die and go to hell afterwards? And I could have said something, but I didn't. You know what I need to do? I need to take a glimpse back up on top of that mountain. And remember the compassion and remember the great thing that Jesus Christ did for me. Because, folks, we do have a mission and we do have a message and we do need to mature. That's what the church is here for. That's what it's to develop you, to grow you, so that you can then interact with the folks in your area, and that's your mission field, and God can use you there. And then guess what? It's to keep the message settled in your heart and to keep it simple and to keep that supernatural glow by being tethered to that mountaintop when Jesus Christ first came to you. We bow our heads for a word of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in church. Father, I pray that you would encourage us, Father, to think of others. God, I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, to be able to look beyond our own situations, our own problems, our own life. Father, as was told to this maniac, he's not a maniac anymore. Father, he's just a, he's just a man trying to live for Jesus Christ. Lord, just like us all, we all have a past. And God, the folks that we're dealing with, they're hard to deal with, especially in the world which we live in today. They're cold. They're hard-hearted, God. But Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd help us to take heed to what you told this man. And help us, Lord, in these last days to still see a couple come in, here and there, trickle in. Help us, Lord, soften our hearts. And help us to always be connected to that time where we first met you. And keep that shimmer in our eye when we tell the story of what you did for us, Lord. We thank you. Pray you bless these people now in Jesus' name. Amen.